Hello, Metro Augusta. Hello, Georgia. And hello, wherever you are. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the December 13th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. Today's show is brought to you as a service of my consulting firm, and that is Janice Allen Jackson and Associates, where we proudly provide services to local government and nonprofit organizations. If you have not already, please follow Local Matters on Facebook. And of course, please also subscribe to our YouTube channel. When you follow and subscribe, you will get notifications when we post new episodes. And there's also other information that may be of interest to you on our Facebook page. I do want to say that from time to time, I have people reach out to me and say, hey, I missed last week's episode. Where can I find it? All of the episodes are on my website. And that is JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com. Or you can just Google Janice Allen Jackson and Associates. That's my business. And there's a Local Matters tab there. I will say that there on the tab, the most uh, recent episodes are at the bottom. So if you um, scroll all the way down, you'll find the most recent episodes. Uh, we do want you to catch up with those. We have some great information. And most of the time, our episodes are things that will be of interest regardless of the time frame in which you listen to them. So please go to my website if you have trouble finding an episode. Local Matters family, today we are joined by Dr. Jackson Drumgool. Uh, he is with us to describe a new venture that you may have seen on the news uh, there is going to be a tiny home village on Mary Street in Augusta, and uh, I wanted to talk to him about this because obviously it's a new development, but because there's so much behind this that I wanted him to explain to our Local Matters family today. So how are you doing today, Jackson? Hey, doing well, Janice. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for being willing to join us. You know, if you come on once, that makes you a part of the family. So you are officially a part of the Local Matters family today. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our tradition here is that before we get started talking about tiny homes and bridge builder communities and foster kids, uh, we're going to start off by talking a little bit about you so that our listeners can connect with who you are as a person. So give us just a little background on you. Well, Born and raised here in, in Augusta, Georgia. I am a, a son of the city. I uh, went to Glen Hills High uh, and uh, went to USC, Aiken and USC in Columbia. Um, uh, of course, pledged Kappa Alpha Fraternity and Incorporated. Married uh, to the one Shadana, uh, formerly Shadana Flanoy. We have five children, a 28-year-old. Uh, we have a 19-year-old who's wrestling in college right now. And then a set of 15-year-old triplets, Journey Jansen and King. Uh, and we still we reside here uh, in Augusta. Okay. Now the triplets are they all boys? Two girls and a boy. Two girls and a boy. Okay, got it. So you do have a little gender mix in there. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's fun. If you had five boys, I'd be concerned about you. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a mess. I'm telling you, <laughs> tear up the house. Okay. All right. So um, from uh, this area. Uh, went off and you had a life before you came back to Augusta. So tell us a little bit about what you were doing then. Yeah, yeah. So I, I left and I went to serve in the military for about 30 years, actually. Um, and I served in, in multiple leadership capacities, served in both the Air Force and the Army. Uh, I've served as an enlisted 
member and as an officer, I ended up retiring as a field grade officer. Um, I served uh, as a, a military intelligence officer for a number of years, then did some specialty uh, training, and then went off and did some additional, what they call functional area, uh, it's called force management, which is change, or organizational change leadership for the Army. And you're, you're more likely, you're, you're, you're a consultant for uh, for senior leaders in the military. Uh, when they, as they change different organizations uh, and build and develop organizations, uh, it's about 280 of us in the entire army. And so each military base has probably about two or three on that base to help the generals to, to navigate and, and orchestrate and architect that change. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So you had a career in the military that really prepared you for civilian life, sounds like. Absolutely. And I had no clue that that would be the case as, you know, as, as, as always the case, you never know what you're being prepared for. You just kind of walk in the walk. But uh, as I left the military, I recognized, man, I am definitely prepared to do this. And so here okay. we are. Awesome. Yeah. awesome. So you returned back to Augusta in what year? I got here in 2020. So uh, October of, uh, excuse me, yes, uh, August of 2020. Returned okay. back to Augusta. So you came back to a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. from, from, from South Korea. I was over in South Korea when the pandemic hit. And mm -hmm. uh, and uh, literally woke me up one morning and said, I need to get back to Augusta because we had planned to stay in the D.C. area. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and and I told my wife, I said, sweet, I think we need to get back to Augusta. She said, I was hoping you wouldn't say that because God told me the same thing several weeks ago. <laughs> and, I, and I was hoping he wouldn't tell you. But uh, so we came on back and uh, retired from out of Army Cyber. So I have something in common with you is that I graduated from high school, left, didn't come back you know, off having a career and then show up, you know, 30 years later, or whatever it is. I, I don't, I'd lost track of my time there, but came back quite a while later. How has it been? And what was the first thing that hit you after you got back? Wow. Um, it's been, it's been great. And I say that because I, I left again, man, years ago and um, the politics have changed. The people have changed. Uh, it's, it's, it's a move towards, I think, growth and, and and more community. I see people crossing the aisles a little bit more than they did before. And again, um, when I left here in the late 80s, early 90s, um, we weren't thinking about developing certain areas in the community. Uh, there were certain populations that literally, there was always a tale of two cities, mm -hmm. you know, always a tale of two cities. And, and I see now, that folks coming from out of town and saying, hey, man, we have some potential here in Augusta. Uh, we can do some things. I mean, when I talk about, um, you know, the, you know, Sean Edwards over at the Land Bank or Cal Ray or different folks that's coming from out of come from come from out of town and say, hey, guys, you have an opportunity for for growth here in Augusta. Let's take advantage of it. So to see a lot of those leaders coming here in Augusta um, and wanting to see that change and the betterment of the city, uh, that's that's really what I noticed. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Augusta has always had tremendous potential. I mean, that's always been the line. Um, but for whatever reason, we have not realized that potential. And that probably disturbs me more than anything. Um, it's just like what uh, we need really need to spend some time identifying what those barriers are um, so that, that we can get over the hump there, right. frankly, with as that. A, as, a, as, a, as a community, as a city, I, I totally agree with you on that. But I think, yeah. I think it's, I think it's changing over time. I mean, I said, it takes a while for a boat to turn around in in the ocean, even if they even when they decide to make that turn. And so, with uh, with with 
younger leaders, different leaders coming in, wanting to make changes, uh, seeing the growth in other cities, uh, seeing the potential that we have, I think we can take advantage of it. I think we're on a, on a good trajectory to do that. Okay, excellent. I certainly hope so. Fingers crossed, prayers up. Um, are you, and, and of course you've got your your real life. You talked about your, your quote unquote real life with your family and your uh, um, military experience and, and now a little bit about how you use that. Um, you started a nonprofit and that's really what we want to focus on today. Um, tell us about the nonprofit you started, when you started it, and how you decided that that was going to be an area of focus for you. Oh, great, great question. Great question. So, I mean, the genesis of the Bridge Builder Communities and Drum Group Family Initiatives really started right here in Augusta. Like I say, born and raised here. Uh, and I had several family members actually in foster care uh, and in orphanages right here in Augusta. But again, as a, as a teenager, wasn't much I could do about it. Didn't have didn't have the skills, didn't have the money, didn't have the resources, uh, but it's always been a burden of mine. I mean, from 18, 19 years old, I was like, hey man, if we need, if we had a neighborhood, if we had a community where we could just, you know, take our family members, take our loved ones and we could just, you know, parent them. Uh, and so even while I was going in the military, you know, I spent probably the last 20, 25 years helping fathers to develop. And, and what I saw was, that when 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 fathers leave the household, when the source leaves the household, the family suffers, and and so that's really the key to what what I do with Drum Group Family Initiatives and the Bridge Builder Community is kind of put those those uh, what I call bookends. You know, if you take care of the father, the father will take care of the family. But meanwhile, if the father's out of the household, then somebody has to take care of that family. And so the Bridge Builder Community was birthed from, like, say, family members being in foster care, and I saw. I mean, I, I see it every day that none of them have ever recovered. So when when kids age out of foster care, and I'll throw some stats at you real quick, um, 80% of the kids have some form of mental health illness due to adverse childhood experiences. We're talking about sexual abuse, mental abuse, emotional abuse, displacement. I mean, majority of these kids move about 14 times. Can you imagine? And sometimes when, when I'm in public talking to different groups, I'll say, I'll say, hey, you know, when I ring this, when I ring this bell, I want you to grab one thing that's important to you and move to another table. I ring the bell and people get up and scramble, try to find what's important to them and try to grab something to move. You know, you got you got three seconds to do it. And then we do it 14 times. Now you know how frustrating that is for an adult to do that with all of the mental capacities that we have and the ability to, to function. But what if a kid does that? 13 years old, 12 years old, eight years old, and they move in 14 times. That's while in foster care. Now, like I say when they age out, again, they don't have that support system because when they age out of the system, all of the supports leave. All the support's gone, the money's gone. Uh, their, their medical's gone. Uh, up to this point, uh, their school. So they never really got the scaffolding and the support they needed in the first place. Can I go on to another step? Go ahead. 71% of women who age out of foster care become pregnant by the time they're 21 years old. Because again, that fatherhood protection is not there. That family protection is not there. They, they're constantly looking for uh, connection. They're looking for uh, accountability. They're looking for that. And they don't get it. They're not protected. 75%, well, this it's a national stat that says 65% of youth that are involved in sex trafficking come out of foster care, 65%. That's a national record. 
In Augusta, the number is 75% or higher because of the I-20 corridor. Because of the, if you go on, on Boy Scout Road area, Washington Road area, you'll see them walking up and down the Washington Road area because of that corridor there. Another stat, 45 to 56% of the kids become homeless by the time they're 21 almost instant. 25%, it's one fourth of the kids that come out of foster care have some engagement with the juvenile justice system almost instantly. And they find themselves right back in an institution that they were trying to escape in the first place. And so one of the things that we decided to do with the bridge builder community is to create what I call an ecosystem of excellence or a community of care. And I, and I love your, your interview uh, with, with Bethany Trapp, my dear friend, Bethany from EOA. When, she, when you ask her, what would an ideal situation look like? And as she started describing, I'm like, man, she described the bridge building community. Because what it is, it's, we provide, we, our mission is to provide safe, affordable housing and life skills training necessary for a successful transition into adulthood. Now, let me unpack that a little bit. We're not reinventing the wheel at all. We're tapping into other organizations who are doing these things extremely well and providing a bridge for a better outcome. I'll elaborate a little bit further. We've tapped into Augusta Tech, so they'll provide the workforce initiatives and the education. Governor Kemp has put initiatives in place where any child that has touched foster care, that came out of foster care, has free education, tuition free, okay? Um, we, we're working with Goodwill and their workforce initiatives and they're one stop. So again, all those individuals will have jobs. So when they come into our program, we do an individual success plan with them. So they have buy-in, they have buy-in. They let us know, hey, this is what I want to accomplish in life. And they'll work with our success managers for their individual success plan. We have to make sure that all of them have a GED, all of them have a success plan towards an education. They have a job. We're working with every industry here in the area so that most people are being placed into jobs. We've already had organizations like Chick-fil-A uh, over at Augusta Exchange, Kenny Hanna, our friend over at Kenny Hanna, he said, Jackson, I'll hire every kid you got. Every kid you got. Because again, we, we, want, to, we want to help them to transition successfully into adulthood. Now, when I say that, meaning they're going to get the financial literacy courses and training from, uh, we work with several banks here in the area that's going to provide all of those classes for them. We have a proprietary life skills uh, program that we take them through for nine months, and they have to go through that. So they're living on our campus, and I'll slow down in a minute. You got you to shut me up because I'll, I'll go four miles wide, like I said, four miles deep, so you got to stop me. But they'll, but they'll come in, they'll do that success, that success plan. We're not requiring anything from them for the first 30 days. We, we just want them to be acclimated to being in a community because this is strange for them. They've always had environments where someone's asking something from them. No, we want everything for you. We want nothing from you. What we do want from you is some, some, some want to. If you want to be a part of this, if you want to grow, if you want change, if you want to help, if you want our supports, we're here for you. We're here for the whole ride. But if you don't, it's not for everybody. And we know, we understand that. Let me go back to some other numbers. It's okay. And you got to shut me up. Right here. Go right, go right here. In the state of Georgia, there are 11,000 children in child protective services. 8,000 of those are in foster care. About 8,000, about 7,800 in, in the state of Georgia. Here in Augusta, Augusta proper, talking about 480, 
kids. When we talk about all the surrounding areas, now you're talking about about 700 kids in foster care with 40 of them aging out year after year after year. And we already talked about what happens when those kids age out. And what's that number aging out every year? Aging out, about, about, about 40, about 40 to 50 aging out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And again, when, when they age out, when the money dries up, because some people go into foster care for great reasons, to really, really provide, um, and, you know, a, 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 a permanent family. And we have great partners for families for families, Eric and Eric and Aaron Larson, they do a great job at, at, at vetting families that want to take care of kids. But then they're honestly, frankly, there are some people who get into foster care just for the money. And when the money dries up, the kid's gone. I've gotten several of those phone calls 12 o'clock at night, three o'clock in the morning. Hey, he's, he just turned 18. He got to go. He's talking back. He got to go. But then, again, I got three 15-year-olds at home and just got a 19-year-old in, in, in college. Yeah, all of them talk trash. That's what they do. You know, they're trying to see if they have what it takes in life. They're trying to, they're trying to buck the system. That's what they do. But can you compile that with all of the trauma that they've been through in life? And you're not their real mama. And you're not their real daddy. And you just here for a check. And they know that. They know that. So, of course, they're going to buck a little bit. So, yeah, I get those calls all the time. Midnight, 3 o'clock in the morning. Hey, you got to come get them. I'm like, well, you can't just put the kid out. Well, yes, I can. It's my house. Well, again, for those, for those populations, we have three different pathways to come to us. School systems, Richmond County and Columbia County. Department of Family Children Services and group homes. Those are our three pathways into the bridge builder community. And of course, and of course, referrals. Okay, and you, you hit on something. Let's pause there because you hit on something. I was sitting here jotting down questions as you were talking because I didn't want to stop you because you're on a roll. Oh, please, 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 but, please. but more and more questions were just coming to mind. Yeah. So bridge builder communities has been around for how long? We started, we started in 2020. So as soon as I got here, as soon as I as soon as I hit the I got here, like say August 2020, I, I started it September 2020. And, and did, did, so did you kind of like have this in mind that one day I'm gonna start an organization to work with these kids? The night I, I heard you say that you had family members who were in the yeah. system and that was what encouraged you to do this. But is it like you've been planning and the you know back of the envelope plans forever? I mean, how did you do this? All all of that, all of that. So that was it was part of my it was part of my doctoral dissertation. It's been it was, it's something I've been wanting to do since I was 18, 19 years old. The night I met my wife over 20 something years ago, that night I met her, which was May 27th, 2001, 9.47 p.m. on Richmond Hill Road. I told her this is what I want to do with my life. And she said, you had no clue that I was a social worker and I would love to be a part of your organization. Mm -hmm. September 11th that year, of course, the same year. We all know what happened. Yeah. Uh, towers came down, and again, as a soldier, my life transitioned, and I had to go over to, you know, go overseas and do what I had to do. And we went on that journey. But as soon as we retired from the military, and I just retired last April from the army, I retired April of twenty-two. Um, but again, from twenty to twenty-two, my job was to to do exactly what Nehemiah did in 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 the Bible. He assessed the issue to see was the problem still the problem. He started finding those community stakeholders and determining, hey, who all could help, who all needs to be a part of this problem, who all needs to be a part of the solution, what scaffolding needs to be in place, what supports are there. And then he started to build. And so that's where we are now. We're 
we're building this thing, we're, we're, we're designing it, we're working, we've identified the stakeholders, we identified the problems, we know exactly how to solve it. And, uh, and we have a great team of individuals coming alongside us, community partners, strategic partners, who are, who are gonna help us to provide the scaffolding and support for, these, for this population, this very vulnerable population. And okay, got it. And that is a wonderful story about how you and your wife came together around this. And it also points out, I think that folks don't wake up one morning and decide they're going to do something. They've been thinking about doing this for a long, long time. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This has been on your heart. And now you can have the dedication that you do have because it's been on your heart for most of your life. It exactly. appears. Exactly. Okay. So I was going to ask, who gets a chance to participate? Because this, this, these support services sound wonderful. You make reference to your referral sources being the school system, defects, and group homes. Right. So, do people or young people become a part of Bridge Builders when they're still in school, or is it just at the point when they age out? When they age out, and again, for this particular community that we're building, is is you're focusing on the kids that age out of foster care, eighteen to twenty five years old. And they age out of twenty five years old, okay. right? And okay. if, they, if they don't have their, their GED at that time, then we can we can help them to get there. But like I said, only there's only a few parameters to be involved with what we're doing. Only very few parameters. Go ahead. And when will the tiny house community go up? I, if it was up to me, it'd be up today. Uh, but we're working on working with the city, uh, working on the plant with the planning and zoning. Uh, we would like to say by this time next year, we'll be taking in our first cohort. Okay. And how many will you be able to serve there? So we're going to build 25 tiny homes in the okay. 3,500 square foot community center. Now, the, each home will house one individual because we okay. want to get them a chance to start adulting and managing a small home. Each, homes, each home is about 320 square feet. Mm -hmm. However, in the community center, we'll be able to service anywhere from 60 to 100 kids because we do have all of our life skills training that we will continue to work with. Um, Department of Family and Children's Services and other agencies and the community at large on uh, fiscal responsibility classes, cooking classes. Um, you're teaching life skills. You're teaching life skills, conflict negotiation. Uh, exactly. You know, uh, how to identify sex trafficking. You're working with your body. We've um, we partnered with Medical Associates Plus. They're providing um, mobile health care. Uh, so they'll come out and they'll do any, everything from dental to dermatology, uh, and, and 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 they can do that on site. And so all of those all of those services, the mental health services, Serenity Mental Health, uh, and other services here in Augusta, that they'll come right there uh, to our community center and and service those kids and any other kid that uh, comes to us. Okay, and I assume they get compensated through their normal sources. They bill insurance or Medicaid or whatever, right. whatever. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, how do I get to be one of the lucky twenty-five that gets a, a tiny home? Great. Great. <laughs> you know, what's going to be the criteria if there, are, you know, a number of them, maybe fifty of them, coming out that year, and you only got twenty-five homes? How are y'all making that tough choice? Yeah. Great question. So, you know, so we sat down. We had a, a mental health, uh, uh, I guess. Uh, whiteboard session a few weeks ago i call it that a whiteboard session where i brought in a bunch of mental health um you know cl clinicians and said hey guys we need to start screening these individuals early 10th 11th grade you know 
15, 16 years old, because we know who they are. We know we know who they are. We know we know we know where they are. We've talked to the superintendents. Let's start identifying them early and start assessing. Do these kids need to be in a community? Some kids don't want this program. I'm telling you, some kids come out and they say, "Listen, I just want to go in the army. I'm I'm ready. I'm done," and that's fine. But they have to have a, a high school diploma or GED, and if they're on the cusp, we can help them help them get that. They have to be working at least 20 hours a week, you know, and or going to school. We have to have that. And they have to be a good fit for the community. And so I say that because there, there are four aspects to community, four aspects to any community. If you're talking about a fraternity, if you're talking about a football team, you're talking about a community of whatever. Membership, and I'll unpack each one if you give me a minute. Mm -hmm. Membership, inclusivity, fulfillment of needs, and emotional connection. Those are four aspects in the community. Membership, like I said, again, membership of a fraternity, hospital, whatever the case may be. That inclusivity, everybody has to have a voice. But not just everybody has a voice. You don't just invite people to the dance. You actually give them opportunity to choose the music and then invite them to dance too. Everybody has that inclusion. That's that, that part of the community. The fulfillment of needs. The fulfillment of needs portion is everyone listens to the same radio station, WIIFM, what's in it for me, right? And so mm -hmm. when they come to the organization, when they come to within that community, they have to determine, am I getting my needs met? But what that, what that translates to is, am I meeting the needs of others? And so if I have an individual there, and if I have an individual um, that we've screened and say they, I think they, they may be on the cusp of, of being a part of our, of our program, um, but they don't do well in, in groups, or they have a history of violence, or they have a history of arson, or they have a history, you know, something that would not allow them to flow well in a community. They may need another organization. And there's several organizations out there, who, you know, that we can we can refer them to throughout the state of Georgia. But this particular community will not serve you well. Now, will some of our programs serve you well? Some of our community partners? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. But as far as being part of this community. And then the last thing I say is that emotional connection. What most of these kids have not had is reach back capability. Someone they can call back when they say, hey, listen, somebody's trying to sell me a car at 27% interest. Is that a good deal? Run, baby, run. You know, they don't have that. And so that emotional connection where they have family, a forever family, whether they stay with us from nine months or to the whole three years, they can stay with us for up to three years. If they stay with us for nine months to three years, they're still a part another of our question family. I was gonna have, yeah. how long? So up to yeah. three years, okay. Yeah, they, can stay, they can stay with us up to three years. Now, are we gonna kick them out at, at, at three years if they're not finished the school? No. Again, that's why we run the organization because we wanna make sure that they are ready to transition successfully into adulthood. But what we found out, wait, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so basically what I was gonna summarize, I think is that the people who will be there are people that you think you can adequately serve and people who have a chance for success in your setting. People who, who want success in that setting. Yeah, yeah, because we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna give you every opportunity to succeed. And I say that because on campus you'll have what we call we we have three success managers. These are these are licensed licensed mm -hmm. trained individuals in trauma informed care uh, who are going to sit down with you and and walk your plan out, help you walk your plan out. Then we're going to have what I call a mama bear. She'll be living there on the property. This is a secured mm -hmm. property, gated right. community. Mama bear will be living there with you. She's going to be in your house with you showing you how to cook, showing you how to maintain a household, asking, knocking on your door, asking you, hey, what, 
You're supposed to be in work at 7.30. Where you at? You know, right. gotcha. what's going on? Let me see, let me see your homework. You know, the kids still need those, I call them kids. Every one of us still needs those boundaries. Mm-hmm. Every, mm-hmm. every kid, everyone, all, all of us still need those boundaries. And so she'll be on campus every day. Then you'll have those success managers. They're really case managers to kind of work their case and help them to, uh, to, to, to kind of walk lockstep with the plan that they came up with when they came there. Because again, they have buy-in to their plan. We're not we're not just giving them a curriculum and say follow. Right. Yeah, it's it's it should be a, a joint effort to come it up is, with this It is plan. a joint effort. It's a joint effort, and we're going to now, help. Who's who's going to pay Mama Bear and the case managers? So we get so there's funding once we get once we get established once we're established there's several uh, federal grants I mean federal funds and state funds that we onboard, and so all of those fundings come down to pay all the staff. Um, okay. So yeah, should be paid. Should, yeah, should should be paid by those. Funds. So did you all have to apply for grant funding? Basically, you just had. To no, start. absolutely. We have to apply for grant funding. We have to. Um, so we'll be a a uh, what they call a licensed partner, Georgia mm-hmm. partner, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, what we call independent living program, mm-hmm. ILP, and uh, and so we'll we'll be able to onboard those funds, but by providing all of our programming, we'll apply for additional grant funding as well. Gotcha, gotcha. So. Um, you mentioned earlier, you talked about the uh, drum school family initiatives and you talked about the importance of fathers. Will there be an emphasis on having male support in that environment? Unpack that for me, male support. When I say male support, will there be males that those young people are exposed to to show them the role of a strong male figure, father figure, guidance, that sort of stuff. Will in some of the, will how would you work that in? Yeah, absolutely. So they learned the, the yeah, role yeah. of a band. No, great, great. So we partner with several um, mentoring groups here in the area. You know, one, you know, Living in Purpose is is one. Uh, Pastor Unique Mackey has a great program, and several other brothers here have amazing programs. Hawthorne Welcher has an amazing program as well. Um, and, and so, yeah, we plan on partnering with all of these individuals. Like once they're vetted, and we um, we have the community center set up there, they come in and and and, and build those relationships with them. Because again, uh, opportunities come at the speed of relationship, and so we want to make sure they have a good, healthy relationship so they can see what met what manhood looks like, what authentic manhood looks like, and want to be around individuals like I mentioned earlier, who don't want anything from them but want everything for them. And okay. so it's very vital. We partner with several churches here as well. And one of the things I tell the churches, hey, you got to come in and build a relationship before you start just throwing Jesus down everybody's throat. Build a relationship with them first. Uh, see, because a lot of these kids have a lot of church hurt, ton of church hurt. And and so, and they've been let down. So we're not coming at it that from that angle. We're coming at it, hey, we, we want to make sure we provide the scaffolding and the supports needed for you to transition successfully into adulthood what that what is what does success look like for you you know i'm not going to push my my agenda down their throat i'm going to let them to tell us let them tell us hey this is what i'm going to accomplish you know one of the things one of the unique things that we did early on was we we felt we started a youth advisory board these are kids that are currently in foster care or who aged out themselves and they have been advising us for the past two and a half years on what's actually needed because again just because i think that you need to become a chemical engineer 
you know, or or coder, you know, they say, no, Jack or Mr. Drumgool or Dr. D, whatever they call me. All I want to do is learn how to drive and manage my checkbook and cook spaghetti without burning it. Okay. Okay. If that's what you, that's what you want, we can help and you. That's do a good that. start, actually. That's a good <laughs> that's start. A, that's a great start. That's a great start. I got, you know, I got one kid. Um, he he wants to be because we're working with we're working with kids right now. We're working with youth now. And I got one young man who uh, he wants to be an electrician. So this morning I stopped by uh, the IBEW local union fifteen seventy nine, and who which I was a member of when I was a teenager. And uh, so I went in and I said, hey, I got this kid. You know, can we can we work on getting him in the program? And they said, hey, well, as long as he can as long as he can do well on his algebra and he got his GED, we can get him in there. So it's those type of relationships. If an individual says they want to do something, our job is to help build a bridge to a better outcome and a better solution for that individual. They just need some. They just need some parenting. They just need some adulting. They need some supports, and that's what we want to provide. That is excellent. And to be honest, even some of us who were not raised in foster care need some of that adulting and survival skills too. <laughs> you know, it's the truth because it takes a lot to navigate life successfully. Oh. Really, really takes good. a lot. Um, let me go back. And there's one question I have always wanted to ask. And since you're near this space, maybe you can answer. Why is it that a kid has 14 foster homes? What's the dynamic that leads to them moving from place to place to place? If you can imagine, like, I'll share this. I'll share, I'll share one story from a young lady that's part of our youth advisory board, right? When uh, Because of the trauma that she went through, between one years old and five years old, she was mute. She couldn't talk, wouldn't talk, selective. Yeah, wouldn't talk, I think that's, yeah. Wouldn't talk, wouldn't talk, wouldn't talk. Well, they thought she couldn't talk. So she went from house to house to house because foster parents said, I can't deal with that. I can't deal with that. I don't want, that. I don't want any parts of that. And they continued to abuse her throughout the whole time and just passed her along. And again, I, I, I I'm not going to say that they're bad and all that all false parents are bad because that's not true. And I can't, so I can't say what happened with everybody's dynamic, but with this particular young lady, she was passed around seven, eight, nine times abused sexually, mentally, emotionally, and wouldn't talk. Today, she speaks four languages, Russian, German, Italian, of course, and English. And she's a, she's a linguist. I can't say why it happens, why parents don't, I mean, why foster kids don't, I mean, why foster parents don't just grab a kid and say, I'm going to love them, love them to life like I love my own. But again, a lot of people get into this work or this business because of the money. It is, it is a check. It is a check. And some, some people see it that way. It's not a child. It's a check. Um, again, I wish, I wish that wasn't the case. But they tend to recycle the pain and the hurt over that child for a lifetime. Um, and again, and, and I'll say this too, on another, another thing, um, I think it's an over-surveillance of certain families. With, and, and again, nothing wrong with Department of Family and Children's Services. I truly believe that they're overworked. They are overworked. They are. Now those, case, those case workers are just overworked. Overworked uh, and underpaid too. And underpaid and underpaid. But there seems to be an over-surveillance of certain types of families um, and, and, and without, a, without the triaging that it takes place to say, okay, what's really going on here? For example, 
Uh, I was born right here in Augusta, Georgia, South Augusta. My mother worked from 3.30 in the afternoon till midnight. Of course, we came home at, you know, at 3.30 from school. Well, Miss Carr up the street made sure that we were fed, made sure we were taken care of. My father, yeah, he came home from work at 2.30, 3.30, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, whatever. But he, he had to be up at 4 o'clock to go to work, so he went to bed at 7. It was Miss Carr up the street who kind of managed the household for us. That's a different family community dynamic that my mom and Miss Carr worked out. To the same situation. If a if a young lady, or for, excuse me, if a, if a household is being managed by a single mother, that's why I say fatherhood is so important, by a single mother, she got three kids in the house and the next door neighbor is actually feeding them and there's no food in the refrigerator, but she's okay because they worked out that agreement. The case manager has to have all that dynamic in place. So she'll come in the house, look at the refrigerator, the case manager, male or female, come in the house, look at the refrigerator and say, there's no food in here. The kid has to go because you're not taking care of this kid. Just, But if they take into consideration the totality of the arrangement that the lady next door is actually feeding them and keeping them while mom's at work. And that's the over-policing piece I'm talking about with the black and brown communities. And so uh, where, where all those kids are kind of disproportionately placed into care. I will add this caveat. In the state of Georgia, it's about 47% white in foster care, 48% African-American, and then the rest is right there in the middle. So it's really a poverty thing. It's an economics thing. Mm -hmm. It's really regrettable to me. It has definitely turned into that, which is yeah. regrettable. But I mean, I think about it. If you go back a couple generations in the African community in this entire country, all of us would be in foster care because everybody yeah. was desperately poor. Everybody. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. We were, we were right there on the cusp, were we not? Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, this, this, this um, criminalization of poverty. Yes. Um, Perfect. To the point where you break up families is really, really disturbing to me um, because I said, as you were talking through that, I was thinking, OK, if you go in the house and there's no food in the fridge, isn't it a much better situation just to bring them some food? Some food. Than it yeah. is to separate the family. And as you were speaking earlier about teaching somebody how to cook a pot of spaghetti, um, those are the types of things that I wish we could find ways to do more of. Um, I remember reading something, and this was, you know, umpteen years ago, decades ago. I was reading a story about some pilot program. I think it was in New York City where they would assign a caseworker to a fam to a group of families, and it was a small group, like you know, ten families, twelve families, something like that. And the caseworker would go grocery shopping with them yes. to show them this is what you do when you get to the grocery store. Yes. This is yes. how this works. Yes. And yes. let's talk about meal planning. Yes. Let's let's plan some meals before we go to the store. We know what we're getting. We can be organized about our shopping. And then yes. we're going to come home and we're going to prep a couple meals to make sure yes. you understand how the stove works. That's it. That's it. That's that's exactly what we're bringing back. So we're working with, with uh, Augusta Locally Grown, working with LaShondra Robinson of Black Farm Street and a few other organizations to do exactly mm -hmm. That to show them literally how to walk in the grocery store, go on the outside first, hit the fruit section first, get your meats, get your dairy, you know, and, and stay off the middle aisles. Just showing them what we call smart shopping, smart cooking, uh, mm -hmm. and those those are the those are the lost skills that we're talking about. 
and those yeah. are all skills that we're talking about bringing back. Same exact thing. Yeah, That's and of course the the connection, the correlation between yeah. what you bought at the grocery store, what you prepared, and your health situation. Those all things are directly related. Everything so, related. Yep. You know, because you are what you eat. So I am so happy to hear this, and I wish we could do more society could figure out a way to pay to do more of it. Like I said, not just for folks in foster care. This is going to be for folks. I mean, I think folks that have excuse me, in high school, need to learn how to do this stuff. Well, I tell you, like I said, um, that's what the community center that we have on that we have on the property, that's what it's really for. Each quarter, we'll open it up for classes, you know, for the community at large. And that's really what it's about. Uh, because we want we want an educated society here in Augusta, mm -hmm. uh, especially in these blighted areas. We want folks to, to, to get all the education they can get, to get the knowledge, get the information, and be able to apply it. Okay. All right. All right. We have, you've shared so much information in terms of the data regarding folks coming out of foster care. I think I, we can make this real uh, for our listeners and the data is great. I, I certainly appreciate you having all of that to share with our listeners, with the family, but um, there's something called the foster care to prison pipeline. Can you just talk a little bit about what that phrase means? I, I saw a news article um, a few days ago that talked about that. Didn't get to read the whole article, but I think I got the gist of it. Can you explain that to, to well, our listeners? What, what I, think the, I think some of the facts say that if a, if, a, if, a, if, a, if a youth is on the street anywhere for, I think, I want to say eight months. I can't remember the time frame. At any particular time, they'll, get, they'll have a run-in with the juvenile justice system earlier than others, right? Uh, because again, like I said before, 46 to 55% of these kids become homeless almost instantly. So when they age out of foster care, where do they go? Where do they go? When when Bethany sh shared uh, about the point in time count here in Augusta, right? And they said the number is about 400, 586. They weren't counting youth. They weren't counting the 18 to 25 year olds. You won't see an 18 to 25 year old pushing a cart around here they yeah. self-manage when i say they self-manage meaning they'll they'll couch surf they'll sleep in a bus they'll find an abandoned car they'll break in somebody's house they are self-managing well what does that do that opens them up to the juvenile justice system and here's and here's what happens if no one can come get those babies out of jail who's going to advocate for them nobody and so now they are what free labor for the state and the federal government back in our prison industrial system they're in the system. And who's going to get them out? Nobody. Matter of fact, I think the numbers are like 90-something percent, 86 to 90-something percent of individuals that are in prison are fatherless, come out of fatherless homes. Let that settle in for a second. So what's the gap? Where should we be putting our energy? We're putting families together. That's where we should not put our energy. By building fathers up, fatherhood programs, family programs, keeping families together. 86, things like 86 to I'm, I think it's 90 to 97 percent, something to that number. It's a high, extremely high number of individuals that are in prison come out of fatherless homes, mm -hmm. come out of the foster care system, have been in the foster care system at least once in their life. Because, again, there's no one fighting for them. They don't have the supports. They don't have the scaffolding. They don't have the education. They don't have the background. And they say, I'd rather be just I'd rather just be in this institution. At least I have a family. Remember I talked mm -hmm. about that, that four, four stages of community? 
-hmm. membership, inclusivity, emotional, mm -hmm. emotional connection, fulfillment of needs. I need a family. There's an old saying that says, if a community doesn't show warmth to a kid, a kid will burn the community down in order to feel warm. Come on, somebody. Wow. They'll start, they'll start the fire. They will start, so start the fire themselves. And that's human nature. I just want love. I just want acceptance. I just want appreciation. I just want validation. And if I can't get it from my mother or my father, will somebody in the community please wrap themselves around me? You can look at basketball players. You can look at football players. How many of them, they, they found a coach that showed them that appreciation, showed them that validation. And their life skyrocketed because of that. Yeah, Alonzo Mourning, he was a uh, he was a he was a foster kid. You have several. You have several. No, Alonzo Mourning was a foster kid. Okay. Yeah. I sh I'll share a whole list of individuals that that um, I posted on my Facebook page a while ago, and I think it's still on our page right now of uh, individuals that no one ever knew they were in foster care. But mm -hmm. in each one of these individuals, someone came along and intercepted and built that bridge for them. Someone, and so. That's that's really the reason behind the prison. It's a system that's just grabbing kids off the street. It's a system that's just grabbing kids off the street. Our black and brown boys, our impoverished white brothers. You know, like I said before, like we talked about a moment ago, we've criminalized we've criminalized poverty, and instead of protecting these kids, we're prosecuting these kids. And that's a whole other conversation for another group of people. But um, I'm going to do my part. There was a and I'm, I was shut up after this. And you got, I'm telling you, you got to plug me because I will, I will keep going. There's, there's, there's a saying, um, if you and I were standing by the water, having a little picnic or whatever we're doing, and we see a baby in the water, first thing we do is do what? Go grab that baby, right? And all of a sudden, we see three or four more babies in the water. And I'm grabbing babies. and I'm recruiting people to come help me get these babies out of the water. What my energy needs to be focused on is sending someone up the stream to find out who in the heck throwing these babies in the water in the first place. And so right now, the bridge builder community, we're grabbing babies out of the water before they get further downstream. But someone needs to, and again, this is not this is somebody else's fight. Something like because I believe you need inspiration, administration, and legislation. Mm -hmm. Right? Inspiration, legislation, and and, and and administration. The inspiration portion, yeah, I can inspire all day long. Pastors can inspire all day long. Administration, somebody doing the work. But that legislation, those laws put in place to protect families, protect these kids. Again, that's I, I can only fight a couple of fights. Right. But if, we, if I can get a few more people with some gloves on that can go down, you know, the, 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 my, my, my dear brother Harold Jones and and and, and Jordan uh, Johnson, you know, just the brothers that can that's in in that fight. Our, our mayor can fight that fight in the city to make sure we protect these kids and protect this population, I think we can get it. I think we can take care of this population. Right. One at a time. Just think about it. We got to do it one at a time. We can't do too much too fast. I'd be very, very niche, be very focused. Find people who are doing the things well and let them do what they do best. Thank you so much for bringing that up because the primary focus really of Local Matters is to help people understand the connection between what's happening in the community and what lawmakers can be doing to improve conditions, that they see that there's a connection between who you vote for, what laws they pass, and what really happens to people, how well that they are taken care of. So thanks for, for helping people see that, correct, that connection. 
is it mostly changes? And do you even know if you don't, that's okay. Is it mostly changes that need to happen at the state level? Is it changes that need to happen at the federal level, local level? Where do the changes need to take place to put those supports and protections in place so that we can build a better community for people who are in for foster care? I think I think it's all. I mean, I, I, I think it's all. But but I will say this. I'll be the first person to say that um, you can't depend on the government to parent your kids. No. Right? And, and so you can't, the, the government can't protect them but you can't parent them. And so it's individuals like us, and like I said, like, say, like, like, like we talked about before, the missed cars of the world, you know, the, the neighbors to wrap their arms around these, around these populations. You see a mother struggling, you see a father struggling. We as a community wrap our arms around it for the protection of the community. Yeah, there can be certain things put in place to protect and that's fine, do that, do what you can do. But it is a, it is a cumulative problem. It's something, it's a collective problem. All of us need to solve this. All of us need to solve this. Um, I, I, keeping families together, something as simple as, um, I don't know if you remember back in the day when a, a young husband and wife used to get in an argument, what everybody used to do, they wrapped themselves around, insulate that couple to make sure they stayed together. That was back in the day. Now everybody's, hey, a divorce is $99, go get you one. You know, and a point of you being miserable, go and, go and get a divorce. And there are billboards on the highway that say oh. life is too short, get a yeah. divorce. <laughs> I saw one between Augusta and Charlotte a couple of days ago. Exactly. No one has the stick to these days. And I, I'm saying I went through a divorce. I went through a divorce in my early 20s. And that was one of the things that I remember most about. It. I was like, man, why did nobody come around us? We were just we were just young, dumb and stupid. We, 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 we're better. We're better friends now than we were you know, 25, 30 years ago. But why didn't why didn't the community wrap around us? And so that's what I'm talking about. Folks just wrapping around certain young families and saying, hey, guys, y'all got three kids. Trust me, 20 years from now, it's going to be completely different. Just get through this phase in life. It is it's doing life together. That's what we talk about. It's not it's not definitely legislation. It's just doing life together. Other communities do it. We can do it. We can do it. Um. One last question. I think this is my last question, but who knows? We might keep talking. I'm going to do like you. I got one comment. I got one question. Um, my perspective comment, my perspective on foster care changed radically when I was in my early 40s, I guess, because at that time I was in Charlotte. I was uh, working for Mecklenburg County and I was overseeing the community health and safety services provided by the county. So social services, mental health, public health, all those things reported to me. And that was when I understood what a problem it was for a child to age out of foster care with no support systems in place. Yeah. Um, because you know, the child turns 18, the check gets cut off. And next thing you know, the, the kid is automatically homeless, just snap, you know, with no warning. And, and you know, where do they go? Because it's not like the rest of us, like many of the rest of us, because all of us couldn't do it either. But many of the rest of us could just say, you know, mom, I don't have a job. Dad, I don't have a job right now. Can you send me $500 or can I come back home or right. what should I do? And you're saying these kids don't have any of that whatsoever. So that has got to be the loneliest, most vulnerable life ever. Yep. 
you're just out there. So that was when that snapped with me, you know, like I said, that was, you know, when I was in my early forties and I was working in that program. So, I, but I only knew that because those were services that I was overseeing. That that was mm -hmm. why that became reality to me. So nothing, I, so nothing I said to you was a surprise then? Uh -uh, no, none of it surprised me at all. Cause I, I've seen it all. Um, the next one is next thing. The positive comment is, um, well, it's two positive comments. One is my far reference, frame of reference for foster care was one of my neighbors when I was growing up. She was a foster parent hmm. and she lived and grew up next door to me. She's a good bit older than I am, but grew up next door. But I always knew her because her parents, you know, was still there and everything. And um, she had a bunch of foster kids. And a few years ago for her 70th birthday, one of the formerly foster kids who she lives with now. I mean, she never had any biological children and um, I'm still in touch with them. And the, 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 this foster daughter takes care of her. Couldn't, couldn't take any better care of her if that were her biological mother, right. because she was so dedicated to her when the roles were, were reversed, yes. you yes. know, yes. and they threw this big 70th birthday party and probably, you know, 15 foster kids showed up. Wow. Who talked about what a great influence she was for them. Come on, come on. So oh. that was my frame of reference for what foster care was. I just kind yeah. of assumed everybody was Peggy Washington and they took care of those kids like that. Yeah, yeah. I wish that were the case. But it is most definitely not the case. So we appreciate the Peggy Washingtons, but we know that that many times it doesn't work out that way. Um, last thing I want to ask you, as you talk about all of your partnerships and all of the folks that have come together, some of them are government entities. Um, some of the support you get is by you know, virtue of you having applied for grants and built those relationships, are there things that other organizations in our community could assist you with as you try to, to build out this vision? Yeah, absolutely. So we're still working with, you know, several mental health agencies, uh, builders as we develop this thing. Uh, so I, I, I plan on sitting down with the Home Builders Association here uh, coming up soon, hopefully about a, at least by the first of the year. Um, to have them come alongside in a, in a, in a greater capacity. Um, we, we've, we've, we've garnered several, I'm telling you, I haven't seen, I haven't had anyone to tell me no yet, which is, which is great. And I, and I say that, I say that very carefully. No one said, Hey, Jackson, this sucks. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> I don't, 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 don't speak to me again about it. Um, it's, it's just at what level? Do we do we need their help? And so we're we're assessing that right now. We're assessing okay. that right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. As you think through that, please let us know. Um, we have our social media platform, and um, uh, I would love to just get information out if there's a need for things uh, that you all could do. I'd love to help you share that information so that absolutely that you can uh, get more support to take on a very important mission. Absolutely. Now we, we do have. We do have a, a our capital campaign event coming up on December seventh, and we're doing a virtual uh, capital campaign, running a, a telethon uh, simultaneously. So I'll share that information with you as well, so you can share with your guests. Okay, that is excellent. That's excellent. Is there anything else you want to share with us before we close out this interview? No, honestly, thank you so much for the opportunity and uh, and the platform. Really appreciate it.
Um, and just keep, again, keep keep us in your thoughts and prayers as we move forward, continue to develop this tiny home community for this very, very vulnerable population. Excellent, excellent. Thanks so much you. for your work. Thanks so much for your contributions to the community and for being a guest here on Local Matters. Oh, thank you for having me. I close with my favorite Bible verse, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. or Thursday at 7 p.m. here on 103.7 FM or 1600 AM. Or please go to SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts at any time because local matters.